Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. A series of unfortunate events, book the fifth, The Auster Academy, chapter six. Proof Rock Preparatory School is now closed. It has been closed for many years, ever since the Mrs. Bass was arrested for bank robbery. Really? Mm-hmm. And if you were to visit it now, you would find it an empty and silent place. If you walked on the lawn, you would not see any children running around as they were, as they were the day the Baudelaire's had arrived. If you walked by the buildings containing the classrooms, you would not hear the droning voice of Mr. Romero telling a story. And if you walked by the building containing the auditorium, you would not hear the scrapings and shriekings of a vice principal Nero playing the violin. If you went by the school and, and stood beneath the arch looking up at the black letters spelling out the name of the school and its austere, a word here which means stern and severe, motto you would say you would hear nothing but the swooshing sound of the breeze through the brown and patchy grass in short if you went to visit proofrock preparatory school today the academy would look more or less as it did when the baudelaires woke up early the next morning and walked to the administrative building to talk to nero about coach gingas the three children were so anxious to talk to him that they got up especially early and as they walked across the lawn, it felt as if, as if everyone else at Proof Rock Prep had slipped away in the middle of the night, leaving the orphans alone amongst the tombstone-shaped buildings. It was an eerie feeling, which is why Violet and Sunny were surprised when Klaus broke the silence by laughing suddenly. What are you snickering at, Violet asked. I just realized something, Klaus said. We're going to the administrative building without an appointment. We'll have to eat our meals without silverware. There's nothing funny about that, Violet said. What if they serve oatmeal for breakfast? Well, we're going to have to scoop it up with our hands. Oot, Sunny said, which meant, trust me, it's not that difficult. And the Baudelaire sisters joined in with their brother in laughing. It was not funny, of course, that Nero enforced such terrible punishments. But the idea of eating oatmeal with their hands gave all three siblings a giggle. Our fried eggs, Violet, or fried eggs, Violet said. What if they serve runny fried eggs? Or pancakes covered in syrup, Klaus said. Soup, Sunny shrieked, and they all broke out in laughter again. Hey, she said the word soup. Mm-hmm. Remember the picnic, Violet said? We were going to the Rutabaga River for picnic. And Father was so excited about the meal he made that he forgot to pack silverware. Of course I remember, Klaus said. We all had to eat that sweet and sour shrimp with our hands. Sticky, Sunny said, holding her hands up. Oh my god, she's saying real words. I know she's starting to learn. Mm-hmm. It sure was, Violet agreed. Afterward, we went to wash our hands in the river and we found a perfect place to try the fishing rod I made. After I picked blackberries with Mother, Klaus said... Eero, Sunny said, which meant something along the lines of, I bit rocks. The children stopped laughing now, and as they remembered that afternoon, which hadn't been that very long ago, but it felt like it happened in the distance, the past 
the distant, distant past. After the fire, the children had known their parents were dead, of course, but it felt like they had merely gone away somewhere and would be back before long. Now, remembering the way that the sun had shone on the water at Rutabaga River and the laughter of their parents as they made a mess of themselves while eating sweet and sour shrimp, the picnic seemed so far away that they knew their parents were never coming back. Maybe we'll go back there, Violet said quietly. Maybe someday we can visit the river again and catch fish and pick blackberries. Maybe we can, Klaus said, but the Baudelaire's all knew that even if someday they went back to Rutabaga River, which they never did, by the way, that it would not be the same. Maybe we can talk, maybe we can, but in the meantime, we've got to talk to Nero. Come on, he said, he's in the, or come on, he's here in the administrative building. The Baudelaire sighed and walked into the building, surrendering the use of proofrock prep silverware. They climbed to the stairs of the ninth floor, knocked on Nero's door, surprised that they could come, they could not hear him practicing his violin. Come in if you must, Nero said to the orphans as they walked in. Nero had his back to the door, looking at his reflection in the window as he tied a rubber band around one of his pigtails. Remind me how his pigtails were? That's so weird. When he was finished, he held both of his hands up in the air. Ladies and gentlemen, Vice Principal Nero, he announced, and the children began applauding obediently. Nero whirled around. I only expected to hear one person clapping, he said sternly. Violet and Klaus, you're not allowed up here, you know that. I beg your pardon, sir, Violet said, but all three of us have something very important that we must discuss with you. All three of us have something very important that we must discuss with you, Nero replied in his usual nasty way. It must be important for all three of you to sacrifice your silverware privileges. Well, well, out of out with it. I have a long rehearsing to do for my next concert, so don't waste any of my time. This won't take long, Klaus promised. He paused before continuing, which is a good thing to do in case your words are to choose your words very, very carefully. We are concerned, he continued, choosing his words very carefully, that Count Olaf may have somehow managed to get to Prufrock Prep. Nonsense, Nero said, now go away and let me practice my violin. But it must not be nonsense, Violet said. Olaf is the master of disguise. He could be right under our very noses and we wouldn't know it. The only thing under my nose, Nero said, is my mouth, which is telling me to tell you to leave. Count Olaf could be Mr. Romera, Klaus said, or Miss Bass. Mr. Romera and Miss Bass have taught at this school for more than 47 years, Nero said dismissively. I would know if one of them were in disguise. What about the people that work in the cafeteria, Violet asked. They're always wearing metal masks. Those are for safety, not for disguises, Nero said. You brats have some very silly ideas. Next, you'll be saying that Count Olaf has disguised himself as your boyfriend. What is his name, the triplet? Violet blushed. Duncan Quagmire? Quagmire is not my boyfriend, she said, and he's not Count Olaf either. But Nero was too busy making idiotic jokes to listen. Who knows, he asked, and then he laughed. He, he, he. It may be his, maybe his, he's disguised himself as Canalima Spatz or Carmelita Spatz. Or me, a voice came from the doorway. The Baudelaire's whirled around and saw Coach Genghis standing there with his red nose and with his red rose in his hand and a fierce look in his eye. 
Or you, Nero said. He he he. Imagine this Olaf fellow pretending to be the finest gym teacher in the country. Klaus looked at Coach Genghis and thought of all the trouble he had caused. Whether he was pretending to be Uncle Monty's assistant, Stefano, or Captain Sham or Shirley or any of the other phony names that he used, Klaus wanted to desperately say, You are Count Olaf. But he knew that if the Baudelaire's pretended that Coach Genghis was fooling them, they had a better chance of revealing his plan. Whatever was so, whatever it was. So he, he bit his tongue, and a phrase, a phrase here which means he simply kept quiet. He did not actually bite his tongue, but he opened his mouth and laughed. That would be funny, he lied. Imagine if you were really Count Olaf. Wouldn't that be funny, Coach Genghis? That would mean that your turban would really be a disguise. My turban, Coach Genghis said. His fierce look melted away, and he realized incorrectly, of course, Klaus, that Klaus was joking. A disguise? Ho, 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 ho. He, 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 Nero laughed. Violet and Sunny both saw once what Klaus was doing, and they followed suit. Oh, yes, Genghis, Violet cried as if she were joking. Take off your turban and show us the eyebrow you're hiding. Ha, 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 ha. You three children are quite funny, Nero cried. You're like three professional comedians. Velascus, Sunny shrieked, showing them all of her teeth her four teeth and a fake smile. Oh, yes, Klaus said. Sunny is right. If you're really Count Olaf in disguise, then your running shoes would be cover- your running shoes would be covering your tattoo. He, 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 Nero said. You children are three clowns. Ho, 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 Count Olaf said. Ha, 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 Violet said, who was beginning to feel quite queasy from faking all of this laughter, looking up at Genghis and smiling so hard that her teeth ached. She stood on her tiptoes and tried to reach his turban. I'm going to rip this off, she said, as if she were still joking, to show your one eyebrow. He, 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 Nero said, shaking his pigtails in laughter. You three are trained monkeys. Klaus crouched to the ground and grabbed one of Genghis's feet. And I'm going to rip this shoe off, he said, as if he were joking, as if he were joking, to show off your tattoo. He, 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 Nero said, you're like three... The Baudelaire's didn't get to hear what the three of them was because Coach Genghis stuck out both of his arms, catching Klaus with one hand and Violet with the other. Ho, 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 he said, abruptly laughing. Of course, he said in a tone of voice that was suddenly serious. I cannot take off my running shoes because I've been exercising my feet and they smell and I can't take off my turbans for religious reasons. He, he, Nero stopped giggling and became very serious himself. Oh, Coach Genghis, he said, wouldn't, we wouldn't ask you to violate your religious beliefs, and I certainly don't want your feet stinking up my office. Violet struggled to reach for the turban, and Klaus, and Klaus struggled to remove one of Coach Genghis's shoes. But Genghis held them both tight. Drat, Sunny shrieked. Joke time is over, Nero announced. Thank you for brightening up my morning. Goodbye, and enjoy your breakfast without silverware. Coach Genghis, what can I do for you? Well, Nero, Genghis said, I just wanted to give you this, Rose, a small gift of congratulations for the wonderful concert you gave last night. Oh, thank you, Nero said, taking the rose out of Genghis's hand and giving it a good smell. It was what I was wonderful, wasn't I? You were perfection, Genghis said. The first time you played your sonata, I was deeply moved. The second time... I had tears in my eyes. The third time I was sobbing. 
The fourth time, I had uncontrollable emotional attack. The fifth time, the Baudelaire's did not hear about the fifth time because Nero's door swung shut behind them. They looked at one another in dismay. The Baudelaire's had come so very close to revealing Coach Genghis's disguise, but close was not enough. They trudged silently out of the cafeteria administrative building and over... Oh, out of the administrative building and over to the cafeteria. Evidently, Nero had already called the metal mask cafeteria workers because when, the Vi- when Violet and Klaus reached the end of the line, the workers refused to hand them any silverware. Proof Frock Prep was not serving oatmeal for breakfast, but Violet and Klaus knew that eating scrambled eggs with their hand was not going to be pleasant. Oh, don't worry about that, Isadora said when the children slid gloomily in their seats the quaps beside the quagmires. Here, Klaus, I'll, we'll take turns with my silverware, and you can share Duncan, and, and you share with Duncan, Violet. Tell us everything and how it went in Nero's office. Genghis got there right after we did, and we didn't want to see what he knew, and we didn't want him to see that we knew who he really was. Isadora pulled out her notebook of her po- out of her pocket and read it out loud to her friends. It would be a stroke of luck if Goach Genghis were hit by a truck. She read that. She read, that's my latest poem. I know it's not that helpful, but I thought you might like to hear it anyways. I did like hearing it, Klaus said, and it certainly would be a stroke of luck if that happened, but I wouldn't bet on it. Well, 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 we'll have to think of another plan, Duncan said handing Violet his fork. I hope so, Violet said. Count Olaf doesn't usually wait very long to put his evil schemes into action. Cosable, Sunny shrieked. Does Sunny mean I have a plan? Isadora asked. I'm trying to get the hang of the way she's talking. I think she means something more like, here comes Carmelita Spatz, Klaus said, pointing from across the cafeteria. Sure enough, Carmelita Spatz was walking towards their table with a big, smug smile on their face. Hello, you cake sniffers, she said. I have a message for you from Coach Genghis. I get to be his special messenger because I'm the cutest, prettiest, nicest girl in the whole school. Oh, stop bragging, Carmelita, Duncan said. You're just jealous, Carmelita replied, because Coach Genghis likes me best instead of you. I couldn't care less about Coach Genghis, Duncan said. Just deliver your message and leave us alone. The message is this, Carmelita said. The three Baudelaire orphans are to report to the front long tonight, immediately after dinner. After dinner, Violet said, but after dinner we're supposed to go to Nero's violin rehearsal. That's the message, Carmelita insisted. He said that if you don't show up, you'll all be in big trouble. So if I were you, Violet, you aren't, Violet. Thank goodness, Duncan interrupted. It's not very polite to interrupt a person, of course. But if someone... but. Sometimes if the person is very unpleasant and you can hardly you can hardly stop yourself. Thanks for your message. Goodbye. It's traditional, Carmelita t- said, to give a messenger a tip after she has delivered a message. Uh, if you don't leave us alone, Isadora said, you're going to get a, a head full of scrambled eggs as a tip. You're just je- you're just a jealous cake sniffer, Carmelita sneered. But she left the Baudelaire's and the Quagmire's alone. Don't worry, Duncan said when he was sure Carmelita couldn't hear him. It's still morning and we have all day to figure out what to do. Here, have another spoonful of eggs, Violet. No, thank you, Violet said. I don't have much of an appetite. 
And it was true. None of the Baudelaire's had an appetite. Scrambled eggs had never been things, never been the siblings' preferred dish, particularly Sunny, who had much preferred food she could really sink her teeth into. But their lack of appetite had nothing to do with the eggs. It had to do with Coach Gingas, of course, and the message that he had sent to them. It had to do with the thought of meeting him on the lawn after dinner, all alone. Duncan was right. Was right that this was the morning. Uh, was wait. Duncan was right that it was still morning, and they had all day to figure out what to do. But it did not feel like morning. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny sat in the cafeteria, not talking another bite, not taking another bite of their breakfast, and it felt like the sun had already set. It felt like night had already fallen. It felt like Coach Gingus was. Coach Gingus was already waiting for them. It was only morning, and the Baudelaire orphans had already felt like they were in his clutches. Does it drive you crazy that, like, this book is so not really realistic? You just think it's, like, silly? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. All right. 